What about you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 126 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Susan Jagannath. She is an Indian-born woman who has been living in Australia for the last 22 years, writing technical logs for the various computer programs you get with your computer. So if you were to get something that had all these various programs on them back in the day, she wrote the actual technical logs on how to actually use everything that you were getting with your computer. But then recently she was made redundant, as I say in Australia, laid off and decided to chase her passion of writing books. Susan found herself at one point, as she describes, feeling depressed, not very happy with her body image, and found that going out for long walks was really therapeutic. And she also had desires and ambitions to hike some of the famous trails around the world or famous hikes around the world, one being the Camino Santiago in Spain. And the other one was through the Himalayas. And what she wound up doing was writing travel guides for both of these hikes and talking about not just the health benefits of how walking has changed her life, has completely helped eradicate many of the health problems that she's had over the years, but it's also given her a lot of perspective in in what she wants to really do with her life, what she wants to accomplish, and the many different types of books she wants to write. And it's just a really cool story of a woman coming to a place in her life where she didn't necessarily make the choice to have this big life change. You know, her company kind of made it for, and it was time for her to pursue a passion that she had always had and the steps that she took to get to where she's at today. She has now published multiple books. One of them is Chasing Himalayan Dreams, A Trek in the Shadow of the Kanchenjunga and Everest. And the other one is Camino Ingles, Six Days or Less to Santiago. She also offers support and help to any of those people out there who are wanting to start, wanting to write that first book. And she has a course. She has a coaching opportunity that really takes people through the step-by-step process of what they need to do and what they need to accomplish every step of the way of writing their first book. And she also ghostwrites for people, helps people who don't really have the time to write that book that they've got inside of them, but again, don't have the time to write. It's a great story of a woman who's just taking responsibility for her life, her dreams, her hopes, and is going out there and, and making them happen. She's gone back to India. She's now sharing time between India and Australia. She's doing multiple more treks and loving life, as she talks about throughout the whole episode. If you're a first-time listener, please pull out your phone, hit the subscribe button. Please rate this episode after it's finished and give me a comment. Love hearing from you and what you think about all these episodes. If you want to support Misfits and Rejects, you can support me through buying a t-shirt through misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop, or you can go to patreon.com and donate a monthly donation. Whatever you want, it's all appreciated. Nothing is expected. And with that said, please sit back and enjoy this episode with Susan Jagannath. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Susan Jagannath. She's a best-selling Amazon author in the field of travel and health and somebody that 
is in a transitional period in life and something that I think is going to be relevant to a lot of listeners out there who are also wanting to transition or by just the circumstances of life are having to transition, which is kind of the case of Susan. So Susan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chapin. Great to be on. Yeah, it's nice to hear your voice and get to talk to you a little bit pre-show and get to know you because, yeah, it sounds like you're in a very cool place in life where life has kind of pushed you in a direction. You uh, recently became redundant from your job, and it's given you now time to really focus on your true passion. Do you mind talking to us a little bit about what you are intending to do now that you don't have a job anymore? Well, I'm going into my first love, which is books. I've always been a passionate reader and I always wanted to write books and uh, I did write books you know there's a bit of this imposter syndrome around I've actually written nothing but books my entire career but they've been technical books so never in my own name and uh, you know slightly boring unless you're a computer user who wants to know how to run a nuclear plant or or land uh, you know or land a spaceship on Mars Nobody else. And I really wanted to write other books for real people under my own name. And that's what I've uh, started doing over the last couple of years. I finally got my courage up and uh, sort of did it. And it became so exciting that, to be frank, I kind of lost interest in my real job. So when this redundancy was on the horizon and uh, I wasn't too worried about it to tell you the truth I said I just wait it out and wait for them to pay me out why should I just leave <laughs> I like that strategy definitely gives you a little bit of that extra cushion when it's time to yeah uh, just so the audience is clear um, you are a resident of Australia but originally from India and so when you use the term redundancy for all of those American listeners out there you're talking about not being laid off but basically they didn't have a position for you anymore is that correct that's what they say I know the truth. <laughs> they, were, they were exceedingly nice. As a matter of fact, my boss who had to deliver the news, he's, he was a friend of mine because we were teammates before and he was really, really upset about it. And I was telling him, look, don't worry. You know that this is what I'm quite happy with. But he was feeling awful. So, yeah. <laughs> how, many years, how many years were you a technical writer? And what does that actually mean to be a technical writer? I've been a technical writer for about 25 years and uh, a technical writer, we are the people who write the online help for all those uh, computer software which you buy. Uh, we write, we used to write the manuals. Once upon a time, if you bought, if you bought a computer application like say Word, you got a big fat book with it which you had to read and then learn how to write, use the application. So that's what, that's what I wrote in the beginning, print book. Of late, it's been online help, uh, and uh, and we've also started in the last year. This was what I started, and I, I think I, be I became quite unpopular because I started saying nobody wants to read our stupid books. We have to do video. All our users want to do want videos. They want you know they just want to look at things, and uh, we started doing videos, tutorials. Uh, you know how to if you've ever done gone onto YouTube, uh, learning to learn how to do something. You've seen those tutorials on say, how to upload a file to Amazon. It's all, it's all online videos. So that's what we started doing. But basically, a technical writer tells you how to 
use the solution which you just spent a lot of money on uh, either you or your company has bought a, some application which is going to make your life easier and guess what before it makes your life easier you are going to have to learn how to use it so <laughs> that's what we do well we as users we as users appreciate the video aspect that you encourage them to uh, transition into because I don't read anything. I only watch YouTube videos. That's how I've learned how to make podcasts and do everything online. So thank you for that. Exactly. But you won't believe I had a one-year fight for it. One year. <laughs> yeah. And I was, most, I was very unpopular because I kept saying things which uh, were politically incorrect in the work world. Yeah, so... Anyway, so you've been then, I mean, you've been writing as a side hustle. It's been a passion of yours, obviously, for your whole life, it sounds like. But it's really kind of started taking off in the last three or four years. And pre-show, you talked a little bit about reading the four-hour work week, which is, I think, a signpost for many people who decide to take their life in in that direction. Can you talk a little bit about that, reading that book and, and how that influenced you and, and where you're at today? Yeah, I read that book again at a transitional point in my life where I was going into a different type of company. I was actually, uh, I went into Red Hat, which was an open source company. And at that time, it was a very, very small company. They were the only people saying, you shouldn't have to pay for software. Software should be open source. Um, so I read it at that time and uh, it was really, it was really interesting the trouble was that because I had gone into a new company with a disruption technology, I found that technology so fascinating that I didn't really pursue my side hustle because I was so wrapped up in learning everything there was to learn about that technology because, hey, I'm a technical writer. I have to admit it. I am a technology geek. I love, if you put me in front of technology, anything new, you won't get any work out of me. I'll be playing with it. So that's what uh, they were, a group of us really we read this book and we said we should do it and uh, everyone started off the little kind of side hustles we started because even by this time I was considerably older than all the people in this very geeky company most of my teammates were 21, 22 and they were very very nerdy and geeky but I learned heaps from them and we were experimenting with all kinds of things like you know how do you set up your own blog without blogger? And how do you out-Google Google? Google? <laughs> you know, that, those kind of questions. So uh, it was quite exciting. But I had this at the back of my mind all the time. And uh, we, we experimented uh, with quite a few things. But when you're, unfortunately, I was extremely good at my job. So within a couple of years with Red Hat, I became a manager. And that was the end of everything, really, because... When you're a manager, you you just have to hassle people and get work done, and you don't have any fun yourself. So that kind of ate up all my time and um, kind of distracted me from my uh, passion of writing my own book. How many of the original crew that you sat down with and decided to really give this side hustle thing a go are still working at their side hustle or have transitioned into a, a full-time side hustle? Well, there were a group of four of us. And all different, all of us totally different uh, type of people. And I would say that three are now doing uh, their side hustle full time. One, both the other guys were geeks. They uh, they went out, they did their 
did their little, uh, or their big, uh, they created their apps and they managed to sell their apps and move on to the next thing. So they're quite happy. One of them has gone back. Yeah, you know, one of them has gone back into, into a, you know, there are lots of these new uh, startups. So they've gone back into the startup. And one of my uh, friends who actually is in India who started her own side hustle nearly five years ago, I think she was one of the first to try it. She's actually got a, a big investment portal for angel investors. So she's really soaring with her side. It's not a side hustle. It's a major enterprise now. That is so cool. So this is a friend who's, because you're originally from Bangalore. So is that where she's at? Yes, she's, yeah, she's in Bangalore. So, um, yeah. It's amazing how these concepts just spread throughout cultures and everyone, I think, secretly has this desire to take control of their own life and pursue what they've always dreamed of. Well, uh, my friend, her husband is a, a venture capitalist, and he said, he said, it is amazing. He said, all the, all the young, you know, coming out of the big management schools and the engineering colleges in India, he said before, they all wanted to go into government or they all wanted to go and work for corporates or multinationals, or they wanted to emigrate to the United States. So today, four out of five of them are wanting to create startups. They're quite clear. They come out and say, we want to be the next Zuckerberg or we want to be the next Google. <laughs> so, uh, they, yeah, so it's pretty amazing. So there's a huge, I was amazed at this. Uh, if you look at the Indian startup space, it is, it is outrageous, literally. Yeah. People are popping out with apps all over the place. Yeah, it is. Times there are changing. Before we jump into what you've actually written and created, just out of curiosity, how did you get to Australia? Why Australia? Oh, well, this was about 22 years ago before the, the big boom in India. And really, my, uh, my uh, family had all migrated. So really, we are like, you know, my name is Susan Jagannath. Uh, Jagannath is actually my husband's name. Uh, my real name is Susan Burgess. So I have this very Anglo name and I'm totally Indian. So uh, it's because we are a mixed caste community in India. So uh, with the, you know, with the leaving of the British, most, most people went away. Uh, but uh, our family didn't, my dad and mom didn't. They said, we're not going anywhere. We are staying here. Yeah. And so we stayed and they did very well. My dad uh, became a general in the army and my mom was one of the first really maths teachers, in women maths teachers, who was really well-known in India. So we stayed. But what happened is we found that, uh, at, and this wasn't just for us, it was like India changed. It was no longer the bright, secular place it was. And about 25, 26 years ago, there was a lot of uh, right-wing parties coming in and a lot of Hindu fundamentalists. And I just thought, this is, you know, we've seen things happen in other countries and I'm not going to stay here as a micro minority in this country and see my children being massacred or something, which might have been a bit radical at that time. But, you know, when you have small children, you tend to be, uh, you tend to be a bit afraid. And so, and so we left and uh, I was in a good position because like most of middle class Indians, they were leaving anyway because you could get good jobs in the States or Australia or the UK because of our education. So we also moved with uh, with the family. And uh, really, 
I literally have almost no relatives in India now. But what I do have are friends. And the whole time we've been away, every time we go back to India on holidays, I get this lecture from my friend, Susan, come back, come back, come back. India's the place. Why have you gone away? Come back. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what happens. Uh, I don't know if the great the great right-wing right, right wing fundamentalist kind of craziness will ever happen in India. But uh, yeah, that was a choice we made at that time. And let's face it, I was a bit of a, before the digital nomad came, I was a real nomad because my dad was in the army. We moved every two years and we just loved it. Yeah, we moved every two years, north to south. Uh, almost every engagement with Pakistan we were almost on the firing line, literally. We, we had to be evacuated forcibly because, uh, yeah, my mom was very, she would say, I'm not leaving dad. And so we, we would be the only family sitting here in Kashmir with shells raining down on us. And we would say, because, you know, until there's an actually declaration of war, we're not going. Because this is, this is nothing. This is just a few stupid gorillas fighting. <laughs> so we were that, we were that kind of family. <laughs> I mean, I can see then where you got your courage from because, I mean, you are very into your walking. It sounds like long distances. You've done treks in the Himalayas, which is what one of your books is about, and then the Camino Inglés, which is another long trek throughout, what, northern Spain? Yes, yes. Do you want it's to tell actually it? a shorter Camino. Yeah. you want to tell us about those books and how they're significant to you and, and where you're at in life? Absolutely. So about... Uh, Maybe 10 years ago, when I first started being a woman of a certain age, inevitably, I started putting on weight. And uh, I started having a few kind of health problems, which are, you know, I have asthma and I have uh, arthritis, which is hereditary. As a matter of fact, when I was about 30 and I had a lot of pain and the doctor took some x-rays and he said, oh, you've got arthritis. And I said, I can't have arthritis. I'm much too young. And he said, no, no, you're not young. But anyway, so I had all this and all these kind of creeping ailments coming up. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I refuse. You know, I refuse to just bow down and be, and go into middle age or old age. And uh, what shall I do? So every year we, we did something. So I, one year we did kayaking like crazy people. The next year we, uh, you know, yeah. So I decided then, of course, I was working full time. So I really didn't have. Uh, too much of time and I have to admit that I'm one of those people who did voluntary donations to a gym for six months and never went. <laughs> so then how the, how did the, um, the treks become part of your healing? How, the heal, how, how did you choose to make trekking your healing portion of your life? Because I'm sorry to admit I'm a very lazy person. The only thing I like to do is to walk. I love to walk. And uh, in Australia, we, used to, we would go camping every year, twice a year. And we would always, I would always walk. Like I'd walk for miles along the beach or we would go along into the forests and walk. And I said, okay, this is great. I like to walk. I need to walk. And I, I read somewhere you need to do 10,000 steps a day. And if you sort of sit around at home in a sedentary job, you're doing about 2,000 or 3,000 steps a day. So... I said, okay, 10,000, that's about seven kilometers. And so that's what I started. And I found with the, within two weeks of hiking, or not hiking, just walking, 
within two weeks, I was walking 10 kilometers a day. And uh, all my kind of breathing problems and my creaky knees and even my, uh, you know, I had, you get depressed now and then. And my depression and everything had just gone with the walking. And uh, so, as I said before, I'm a lazy person, but I love the walking. I'm also a person who gets bored very easily. I mentioned that as a child, I was a literal nomad. We moved places every two years. So I thought, okay, I'm getting bored of this forest. So at that time, I came across uh, people who were hiking. And uh, I heard of this uh, Spanish walk called the Camino. And I said, okay, that's nice. I can do 800 kilometers. And my husband said, are you mad? And I said, no. He said, I know you're mad. But anyway, the problem was in the year I decided to do the Camino, I could not get leave for six weeks. And if you're in Australia, it takes a very long time to get from Australia. So uh, I I found this shorter walk and decided to do that shorter walk, which is the Camino Inglés. And how far is that? Uh, the distance is 122 kilometers. And that took you, what, less than seven days? Yeah, it took us actually five days, but my book says six days because I count that, you know, when you reach Santiago, that's, that's one day. So you can do it in five days. You can even do it in four days, depending on how fast you walk. But uh, when, you're, when you're hiking... I find that uh, I don't do the type of hiking where you stride out, you know, boldly and stomp all over the countryside. I believe that when you're hiking, you need to kind of walk briskly, but you can also stroll and saunter and enjoy the countryside and uh, look at things. So the thing about the Camino is you're in Spain and uh, it was it was absolutely gorgeous. This northern Spain or Galicia is a kind of Celtic area and it's really beautiful. It's green and quiet and, oh my God, did I mention the wine? <laughs> no, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so you you get all the wine bar, you know, they, they, they aren't uh, restaurants there. Every village has a bar and but of course it's, it's like what you could call a bistro or a coffee shop, but you always have wine and beautiful food and lovely people and we really you know enjoyed it. So the hike was, it wasn't just striding along for a fitness and, and physical health. It became a mental health and a emotional health kind of kind of walk. That, I think that's the benefit which you get. And in my book, I do mention that. And I've had people write to me or review the book. And a lot of people actually email me and say, oh, my God, I always wanted to do the Camino, but I thought I was too old. I thought I was unfit. And so I could never do the... I could never do the big one, but your book has made me do the little one, and I'm so happy. And that's what really made that's what really excites me and makes me so happy when someone who thought they could never do anything or do something, you know, they've actually picked up my little book and read it, and they've gone out and done the walk and got all those benefits. So now, you, does your book chronicle a day to day? Like, does it was like a journal, or do you? Was it in, written in, with the intention to inspire people to go out and do it themselves? I don't know, Chapin. When you write a book, you kind of, it kind of, I don't know whether you write the book or the book writes itself with you as the willing accomplice, but it, it started off just as a guidebook. 
because when we actually did the Camino Inglés, we got lo- we got lost all the time because the documentation and the literature on that in- on that Camino was very inadequate and it was wrong. And at that time, I was already um, I was there was no Facebook Live, but I think there was Periscope. So I was already on Periscope every day, uh, tweeting out to my various followers what I was doing. And when I came back and listened to all of them, uh, I could hear in almost every one of them me saying grumpily at the end, I thought I would walk 15 kilometers and I had to walk 20. I'm going to write a book about it. (laughs) And so it became a theme and I thought, oh, I think I'm telling myself something. And so I sat down and I wrote the book and I was very particular that the distances were correct. All the phone numbers for all the albergues and, you know, all the transport how to get your luggage transported, how to find a taxi. I was very particular about putting all those details in because that's what I wanted. But I also, you know, I also added, because I had a launch team and, a, you know, a kind of people who were reading the drafts and they were saying, Susan, but we want to hear more about you. So I added a little bit about, not too much, but once in a while I added, you know, my thoughts about it because I said, no, no. I'm a technical writer. I'm writing a guidebook. Nobody wants to hear about me. They want to only know about the trick. But it's sort of, mostly it's a guidebook. And the sad thing is that uh, because since then they've changed a bit of the route, um, I've had to change the book a couple of times, but I'm not very happy. So I've actually stopped advertising the book and I've stopped pushing the book because uh, I'm a bit worried that uh, it might be about it. You know, a year or six months out of date. Okay. So that's my yeah. That's my next. My in March or April, I'm going out again, and we're going to walk that walk that again so that I can update the book. So other people, when they edit their books, they send it to an editor. When I edit my book, I have to go and walk a hundred <laughs> kilometers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I beautiful. take this nomad business seriously. <laughs> it sounds like it. I'm getting inspired hearing your story. Can you tell us a little bit about your other book, Chasing uh, Himalayan Dreams? Was that a pretty big trek as well? Yeah, that was uh, 60 kilometers, but it was from 2,000 meters to 4,000 meters. And that was where I decided that I was an idiot because (laughs) this was a dream which I had when I was 16. And I didn't do it till I was 60. So I was a complete idiot. I thought at 60 I could do what I wanted to at 16. And uh, I did do it. Yeah, I did do it. And I said, oh, you know, my husband was with me. He, he said, look, we'll get a jeep. We'll get a, we'll get a, a mule. You can sit on the mule. I said, over oh, my dead body. I'm going to walk. <laughs> and so this was, I actually studied in Darjeeling for a year. And at that time, I wanted to do this walk. Uh, because all the boys from the boys, uh, you know, in India, universities called college. So all the boys from the boys' colleges used to do this walk and brag about it and say, oh, you girls will never be able to do it. <laughs> and so we, we really wanted to do it, but we couldn't get permission because uh, there was no way our parents or even the, you know, the girl, I was in a convent hostel. There's no way they were going to let you go out and walk on your own. So, I, as we came up later, I said, okay, this is something which I was thwarted and I'm going to do it. And so, I was extremely clever and I trained 
very hard in on Mount Gravatt, which is all of 150 meters above sea level for a Himalayan walk at 2,000 meters. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it was hard. Yeah, it was hard. I was very, very, very tired, but it was also spectacular because the vistas you see of the ranges, you know, it's it's fantastic because you can see from Everest to Kanchenjunga, and uh, Everest, of course, just looks like a little tiny little pimple, but you can see right in front of you your entire horizon of 180 degrees is just these snow-capped mountains and it's actually called the Sleeping Buddha because it looks like a man's, you know, the snow-capped, it looks like the Buddha or a man or a woman sleeping across the ranges right from the head, the nose and the hands and yeah, it's uh, absolutely magical. It sounds magical. It was. So that book is a bit more personal. It's a bit of a guidebook again, you know, every day what we did. But there's a lot of me in it. Again, I have a read you know, I have an email this not very large and I have uh, readers and people who follow me saying, No, we want to hear what we want to hear the personal story of why you wanted to do this so People always want to know the why, and so I said, okay, I, I put in the why, and it's more of a personal story of, that's why it's called Chasing Himalayan Dreams. This was more inspirational in that it was a dream which I thought had died and I could never, ever do again, and I decided that I, I was going to do it before I got too ancient. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was amazingly easy to actually arrange to do it. It was just Probably I needed to have taken altitude uh, altitude thickness tablets and stopped at various uh, spots because you know if you if you give yourself time to acclimatize you'll be okay. But we did this; we went straight up in six days, and it just wasn't enough. So I was, I was unable I was unable to sleep, and uh, by the last day I was really tired and um, those are all the classic signs of mind altitude sickness but I knew we were coming down so I didn't tell anyone which was also, also possibly stupid but anyway hey a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do <laughs> I love it <laughs> did you have any sort of uh, profound moments or moments of clarity that you had like an aha moment on any of these treks that really changed your life trajectory or the way you saw the world? Yeah, just, you know, don't leave it too late. There's, there's not enough time and you really need to do what you always said you were going to do. And one of my, because I always wanted to write, one of my things was, if you, if you haven't done anything in life, you've got to go and do something which is worth writing about. And uh, that's what I decided to do. And it was one of the things also which I found from my treks was that how happy I was when I was out of the city and out of social media. <laughs> I was, you know, you're really, really happy being out of the rat race. And you've just got your backpack and all you're thinking of is where you're going to sleep and what you're going to eat. And you just keep walking and uh, these amazing vistas just open up in front of you and you have time when you're walking to really see them. If you're driving in a bus or you're driving in a car, or you're just having a 
you know, just going on a bus tour, everything flashes by. But when you're actually in the scene, you can actually feel it, you can smell it, you can, you know, everything. You're part of it because your feet are aching, but at the same time, the sun is warm on your face and the, you know, you're looking at absolute snowbound mountains in front of you. It's, yeah. It now, was amazing. <clears throat> now, you were not necessarily camping in tents, were you? Or were you staying at guest houses along both routes, the, the Spanish one and the Indian one? Yes, yes, yes. In, in Spain, we were staying in albergues, which are the pilgrim hostels, or we were staying in uh, smaller hotels. And in, in the Himalayas, we were staying in, they call them tea houses, but they're like... Um, I think they're like Airbnbs everywhere, isn't it? They're like Airbnbs. It's it's run run by uh, families and looking called hotels or lodges. Yeah, they call them lodges. Again, like hostel accommodation, but uh, yeah, very nice. And I'm all in favor, really, of staying in those places because you can in summer. I do know of tour groups which take you in the Himalayas, and you can camp in tents. But when I'm walking on these tours, like both in northern Spain and in in the Himalayas, those people are very, very poor. They don't have much income at all. So at least our tourist dollars or our pilgrim dollars, these places are cheap to live in and to walk in. Whatever money we spend there is really going to the people. And that's that's what I like to support, particularly in the Himalayas, the high Himalayas. Uh, yeah, I'll get onto my feminist bandwagon for about one second. Most of the men go down to the plains to work. All the farmlets and the farms and the villages are left. It's only women there. The women are running everything. And uh, one of the sad things which happens in these areas is sometimes there's a lot of trafficking of young women because, uh, you know, they need the money. But if if that fa- a lot of the families are now running these guest houses and they're getting money so they are no longer it's no longer so tempting to sell their daughters it i think when you're you know when you think of it that way i'm all in favor of of uh, staying there because you're really you're not only having a selfish time and enjoying yourself you're also helping a community helping one person that's, that's good enough for me Absolutely. Um, wow, I didn't know that was such a huge problem up in that area. So they they sell off their daughters to get income and they never see their daughters again? Well, quite often they don't sell them off, but people come and say, oh, we'll get you, know, we'll get you a good job in the city. We'll get her a good job working with a family as a servant or as a maid. And uh, of course, uh, some of them do, but very, very many cases, they are not going as servants. The minute they're out, they're sold into the brothels. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah, it's uh, very, very, very sad. But uh, a, lot of, a lot of it is stopped now because there's much more consciousness in India and there's lots more social media. And people actually, you know, when they see something, they actually text, text the police and they, and they find these, you know, the police catch them literally on the on the railway stations even and say, you know, why, why are you traveling with six young women? What is um, your next book going to be about? I've actually written a novel. Do you, have you heard of NaNoWriMo? Nope. 
Uh, okay, NaNoWriMo is, uh, runs every November and it's called National Novel Writing Month. That's where you, all the people who want to be authors, uh, you know, we sort of keep putting it off. So national, it's kind of a month where it's kind of a huge community uh, do where you make a commitment. I'm going to write a 50,000 word novel in one month in November. And you sit down and you write it and every day or every second day you uh, upload your word, word count and everyone can see how much you've written. So it's a general public shaming exercise. <laughs> but you, you, you write your novel. So I actually wrote my novel in November, but uh, about 80,000 words. But it's, uh, as you can imagine, the, the philosophy of NaNoWriMo is just you just sit down and you write. You don't look back. You don't edit. You don't check. You just sit down and write those 3,000 words a day. Okay? So at the end of it, end of it, you have to edit it, obviously, because it's really, really bad. But NaNoWriMo, it's very much what Derek Murphy also says. He says, give yourself permission to write a shitty first draft. <laughs> and uh, so I've written the novel, and uh, I'm in the process of editing it. So I'm hoping to... My next uh, book will be a, a novel. And this year I've got the major edit of the Camino Inglés coming up. I'm going to edit that book after I've done the walk. And I'm also looking for my third travel book. So I have three possibilities for the travel book, depending on which walk I actually do. There's one which I'm going to do in Goa, which is it's a... Uh, a friend of mine who's also a great hiker has done a coastal walk from north to south Goa. So that's sort of from the south of Goa to the north and all along the coastal villages and the estuaries and the beaches. That could be a book. Uh, the other one which I was planning was, um, I was planning after doing, or before doing the Camino, I was planning the Israel National Trail part of that in Israel, which is called the Jesus Trail. So I've been reading up about that. I just might do that. And, uh, yep. Can and my you, third possibility... Can, go ahead. I was going to ask, can you give us a hint on what your novel is going to be about? Oh, my novel, it's historical fiction. It's full of battles and warrior princesses and seas and pirates everything which you find in historical fiction, the type of book which I like, <laughs> the type of book which I like to write. And uh, yes, I'm kind of, uh, I've written that from the point of view, again, uh, writing a series, it's going to be three books. So I've started with my protagonist as a 12-year-old a sort of uh, girl whose father has disappeared, has been kidnapped by pirates, and then she has to go and find out that kind of do you read these types of books for yourself? Is this something you find pleasure in reading as well? I love historical fiction, but most historical fiction is uh, it's very European. And uh, so, you know, the Tudors, I love the whole Tudor period. I also love, uh, you know, the. have you seen, heard of Outlander? No. Diana Gabaldon, yeah. So the Outlander series, yeah, that's also historical fiction set in um, Scotland. I like that and uh, yes I read a lot of historical fiction uh, yep so I thought okay I'll write that and uh, I like adventure I'll, I also like thrillers like I 
I read a lot of very violent thrillers like Lee Child and you know all those uh, a lot of lot of thrillers and spy novels. That's my fiction, which I like to read. So yeah, probably write something like that. That's cool. Do you um, make like a pretty decent monthly wage from the book sales? Not really, not yet, uh, Chapin. I'm hoping that that'll improve because. Because it was a side hustle. To tell you the truth, I it was for me more like a hobby, and I'm making the transition now from uh, turning it from a side hustle into my mainstream. Mm-hmm. So you have to remember, as a technical writer, I used to make a really good amount of money when I was in IT. So obviously, those books are not matching that, but I still get money in every month from Amazon, which is a nice amount, but not not a huge amount by any stretch of imagination, and. If you uh, like people like us who look at the author scene, you really need to have a good backlist to get money. You need to have about ten books before you start getting a good amount of money, unless you're J.K. Rowling or somewhere like that. But even J.K. Rowling had to wait for ten years before she really hit big time. <laughs> yes, you have to be patient, and you uh, you have to write. You have to you have to invest in your craft and, and write, and also learn a lot about. I think Amazon and the internet and digital nomadism—it's—we're we're like on the frontiers, we're on the bleeding edge. So everything is being invented underneath us. So you have to find out what works and what doesn't work. Absolutely. Um, and then you're kind of, as you said, growing this into more of a business. It won't just be your books. It'll be you plan on helping authors take their books into best-selling books. Is that correct? Yes, that's. Uh, that's my uh, real business, which I want to, which I started. I've started the writing business. As I said, I after I got the news of the redundancy, I made the decision. I'm not going and looking for a job. Uh, I had already over the last couple of years, I've already had uh, a number of people reach out to me and say, uh, you know, people from my own uh, circle, as it were, and even people on Facebook and stuff have contacted me and said, how do I go bestseller? Can you help me with X or Y? So I've helped. Uh, I've written, ghostwritten two books for people who didn't have the time to write. So ghostwritten the book for them from everything, from literally from A to Z, right up to, pub, right up to publishing. I also, uh, how do I say this? I know when I was looking for help, I would get a bit frustrated. We would find a lot of help, but people would say, buy my 30 you know, buy my course of 30, 30 videos and 500 hours and you'll know everything. I, think, I don't want to watch 30 videos. <laughs> you know what I mean? So literally, I've been happy to help people with anything. Some people have just, they've just wanted a launch template. Just tell me how to launch the book. And I've given them like a one month template. If you've published your, if your book is ready, you hit you know, one week before you hit the publish button on Amazon, do these three things. In the second week, do these four things. In the third week, do these six things. So just so that it's almost like a checklist, uh, it's a launch template. So literally, I may have never seen their book, but I just tell them this. And Sometimes most authors at the end when they're publishing, if they've never published before, they kind of get frantic. And uh, having a launch template kind of calms them down. They know, okay. By this date, I should have my cover. By this date, I should have my format book formatted, and that kind of stuff. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. In episode one fifteen, we talked 
we talked about that with uh, Derek Murphy. I think you know who he is, and um, he's kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, he's he's right. Yeah, he's way about. He's out there. He's like one of the gurus of the industry, but he's very humble. He also keeps saying, you know, I don't know. I'm trying this. Let's see if it works. So mm-hmm. sometimes I I don't have uh, you know I don't have any problem in listening to people and learning from people as a Quite often people say, oh, you must know a lot. You're, you're listening to all these 20-year-olds and these uh, 30-year-olds telling you what to do and you're sort of nearly 60. You must, but I said, no, I don't know. These, these guys are the guys who are, they are the natives, they're the digital natives. You have to listen to them. You can't just think that you're so wonderful just because you've lived longer. You don't know anything. <laughs> these guys, it's a different world, so... Really, most of the gurus and the people I follow up, they're much younger than me. And I look at them and I, I sort of have a giggle when they talk about their mothers and their grandmothers. And I think, yeah, I'm listening to you. Don't talk about mothers and grandmothers because I'm here. <laughs> but that's what you have to learn. You have to be open and learn from anyone and everyone who's got, you know, who's done it and who thinks differently. Because Sometimes if you've got into patterns of thinking, you need to explode that other you can't grow. Well said. Well said. You talk about um, you know that trip that you might do in India, that hike, and you mentioned Goa. I know pre-show you talked about maybe spending some time in Goa. Was that going to be like a retirement or is that going to be like a six-month thing to live in Goa and write and then six months in Australia? You got it. I, that's my final digital nomad plan. I'm taking it into action next week. So we are literally going going to India. I'm going to India. I'm going to uh, live there for uh, three to six months. I'm going. To, we're first going for just three, uh, four months. We're going for four months. And while I'm in India, I can get out to Europe and do various trips because Australia is really far. So or do other trips in India. But yeah, in Goa, I'm going to. I'm going to keep right. Basically, I'm going to keep doing what uh, you and other d- digital nomads say to do. Take your laptop and work from anywhere. So this is my, that's my next great adventure, as it were. I have, I have to buy a laptop, actually. And I'm thinking, oh, shall I buy a laptop? Or can I manage with my iPad? And I'm thinking, no, maybe not. <laughs> I probably need to buy a laptop. And uh, because I'm laptopless, because when I stopped working, I had to hand in my laptop and I, and I and instead of buying another laptop, I bought a ticket to go to India. <laughs> That's great. And so did I hear you correctly? You're leaving next week to start a, a four-month stay in Goa? I'm leaving on the 5th of Feb. Yeah, roughly. So this is almost my last week and a bit in, in, in Australia. And uh, yeah, leaving. We're going to be in Goa and other places in India, but mostly in Goa. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to do the whole thing. I have to... It can be a bit challenging in India, but I think I have it tied up because I have to go and get things like a broadband connection and, you know, my own electricity account and stuff like that. So we don't, uh, yeah, it's a bit, yeah, it's not as if I'm going to a foreign country. I, I'm going I'm going back to where I was 20 years ago, but I have never actually lived in Goa. So um, this time I'm going to live and see how it is. And uh, work it out. And uh, also, remember I talked to you about my friend with the with the angel investor portal. Yeah. So yeah. So 
I'll be working with her as well because she says there's a lot of people who need content written, you know, short content written, not books, but short content for their tech businesses. And I'm a technical writer. I can I can understand. I can learn very fast, write correctly what you need to write. So I might, I'm hoping to get a bit of that work because that also interests me. Yeah. That's great. Um, what part of Goa, what city are you going to actually be in Goa? Oh, is anyone going to visit me? <laughs> well, I have, friend, I have friends that right now who are digital nomads, and I spent a little time in Goa years ago, so I was just curious. Oh, okay. I'm uh, in Vagatonia, Anjuna. Okay. North Goa. Yeah, North yeah. Goa. Yeah. I spent time in no, Ar- Arambol. Arambol, that's yeah. just a little the north. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, oh, you, that's nice. <laughs> are you taking your children with you? Good God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, you, still no, have, you still have two children in the house, I thought, living at your house, yeah? Yeah, but they are, they are young adults who are refusing to be evicted. So they can now house it for me. You know, I young, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I've been trying to, I've been telling them, I give you freedom, go, go, you can go. But they just don't go. What, what's wrong to do? I think, I don't know, I have, I have to find out, how do you evict an adult child without <laughs> losing the relationship totally? <laughs> because they're not, they're, they're twins. And uh, they're not bad boys. They're not. They're well. These will be well behaved. But and they say, why can't we stay here? And I'm thinking, when I was 22, the only thing I wanted to do was to get away from home, which is why I got married and got out really quick. Because in India, that was the only escape route. <laughs> but How, they, every generation is different. Who knows? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Times there are changing, right? How um, is your health now? And um, have you, and you talked about you know having certain ailments that have you alluded to have gone away because of all these treks. Are they is everything completely gone now? Yeah, I'm I'm ridiculously healthy. Uh, when I don't trek and I don't hike, I sort of you know my arthritis starts worrying me and I start feeling like an old woman. But <laughs> my as my because I am a chronic asthmatic, my asthma settles down, my arthritis vanishes. And I don't get depressed at all, so I'm not at all depressed. And if a writer gets depressed, you can't write, can you? Yeah, so I just find because we started training in the last last week, as by my Fitbit, I've done a hundred kilometers in six days every. So generally, we walk. I walk from about five thirty to about ten thirty every day in the morning. It's getting really hot, so we have to we have to get back soon. But uh, right, so every day at least ten kilometers in various forests or along the beach. And some days I'm trying pushing for by the end of this week. On by the end of this week, I want to hit twenty kilometers in a day in the four hours. So when you hit twenty kilometers in four hours, that's when you're ready for the long hike, really. Because last week we put on our backpacks. And started with the back with a bit of load to start walking. So, um, yeah, so we're in full training mode now. And uh, there's nothing like walking, continuous walks in the forest to really clear up your mind and just get you going. God, I'm sleeping like a, yeah, I'm really sleeping well. The insomnia is gone. The depression is gone. Everything's gone. And, uh, yeah. That's beautifully it's really said. Good. And it's. And it's it's cheap. You don't have to go to a gym. 
you don't have to uh, I don't know I just don't like anyone telling me what to do it just annoys me <laughs> if there's somebody out there listening Susan who you know has just been say laid off or wants to start writing that that novel or whatever what would you say to them well I would say if you you know if you're having difficulty starting maybe do something first uh, a lot of people say oh just write it and you think that that's not very helpful you can't just write it if you're stuck but if you've uh, you know if you've got the opportunity now and you're free go and have an adventure of any sort uh, try some try a new hobby if you can't travel now just try a new hobby try a new activity and start writing about that and uh, once you start writing the ideas will come if you just sit around saying i'm going to start you'll never start but of course that's for me take action any action take do a two day hike in your locality goodness sake just find a park you've never been to and walk around it uh, go to the beach spend three days doing something which you've never done before and come back and write about that because there will be someone who wants to hear about it and that's the way to start really that's beautiful and if some if somebody wants to reach out to you to maybe get some help writing how can they find you you can find me on my website, susanjagannath.com. Uh, you can spell that. <laughs> uh, I'll put it in I'm, the show notes. I'm, yeah, you can, like, I'm on Facebook, and uh, my, my profile is, is public. I don't, uh, I don't hide it. It's Susan, it's Susan Jagannath, and you'll find it over there. You just reach out to me, but just send me a message saying, I heard you on the show, and I want to connect because... I get a lot of men who are very interested in meeting me and I'm thinking, yeah, I can see your profile. You don't have anyone. You're a bot or you're a creep. I don't accept them. <laughs> but, if more, you know, but there are lots of people who reach out to me and send me, send me friend requests and I look at their, I look at their profile and if, if they're a, gen, a real person, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy to connect, connect with people. And you can send me a message on Messenger or the best way is really just to go to my uh, Go to my website and send me a message from there or if you want, <laughs> all my books have got my emails in them. Probably you can even go to Amazon and just turn the front pages. You know, the first few pages will always have my email and a, and a free download, which you don't have to buy the book for. So if you get that free download, you'll get onto my email list and uh, you'll be able to email me. That's beautiful. So yeah, the, the books are Chasing Himalayan Dreams. A Trek in the Shadow of, what is the name of the mountain? Kanchenjunga and Everest. <laughs> and then the, also the other book is Camino Inglés, Six Days or Less to Santiago. That's right. <laughs> Those are the two books. And well, uh, yeah. well, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you sharing your story and, and best wishes in Goa. I uh, hope you have a nice four months. Yes, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of traveling. We're traveling out from there to to the UK and to Israel and to Spain, I hope. So that'll be good. But looking, I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm hoping that it's not going to impact my writing time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it won't. You sound like a woman who's committed to your craft. So best wishes to you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much.
Awesome, Susan. Thank you so much for joining us. What a pleasure chatting with you. What an inspiration, you know, after getting laid off and then going after what you really love in life, you know, writing books, trekking. Uh, please remember to check her books out on Amazon. She has Chasing Himalayan Dreams, A Trek in the Shadow of the Kanchenjunga and Everest, and then Camino Inglés, Six Days or Less to Santiago. She's also there for support if you want to utilize some of her services. If you are ready to write that first book, you can go to susanjuggernaut.com. She has coaching. She'll take you step-by-step through what needs to get done throughout every single step of the process. So that's a really great resource to utilize. Please, if you're a first-time listener, please pull out your phone and hit the subscribe button. Please rate and comment on this episode. It really helps me in the ratings on iTunes. If you haven't yet gotten a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt, please head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop to grab one. Or if you just want to make a monthly donation, it's all appreciated. Nothing is expected, but you can head over to patreon.com at Misfits and Rejects and make a donation there. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember, I think you all are so very, very beautiful. Hope these episodes are providing you with some inspiration to go out and design the life that you've always dreamed of, that you've always wanted. And I'll see you next time. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.